Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, have you ever felt that God just doesn't seem to care about the troubles you're having in life, that no matter what you do, the world seems against you? Or, as Pastor Max Lucado says, do your breakdowns outnumber your breakthroughs? It's... You know, it's really not a matter of getting out of your troubles, but seeing your troubles differently. See them as God working for you, through you. How can that be? Well, the story of Jacob in the Old Testament is more than just a story that happened thousands of years ago, but a narrative about how God works with faulted human beings all the time. Uh, Pastor Max unleashes the power of this truth in, 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 the, in the book, in his new book, God Never Gives Up on You, What Jacob's Story Teaches Us About Grace, Mercy, and God's Relentless Love. Pastor Max, of course, is a best-selling author, selling millions of books, which have been translated into 56 languages and available in 80 countries worldwide. And he's known for taking the Bible stories and making them relevant to today's culture and struggles. And he is an incredible inspiration to millions in delivering God's Word. And Pastor Max joins me now. Welcome. Oh, boy, this is the highlight of my day. I hope you're doing okay. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. You are just amazing. Um, This book... Well, I remember the, the I think the last time you were on, we were talking about the story of Esther, and it's kind of God's silent sovereignty. Um, now this book is about Jacob, and God is not so silent here. God is really oh. <laughs> very much involved in this one. Um, but why did you turn your attention to Jacob? Well, I've, uh, thank you again for having me on the program. It's really, really an honor to be with you. I've always been intrigued by Jacob's story. There's not as much written about Jacob, by the way, as there is uh, as other characters have written about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Jacob's story is a story of a, a fella who doesn't really appear to have the attributes of a patriarch. Yeah, uh, we use that phrase because it's in Scripture. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. But Jacob just appears out of place in that family photo because he's the he's the scoundrel. He's the trickster. He's deceiver. That's that's what he does. He works the system. Uh, The story of Jacob is full of mishaps and missteps. Uh, The story of Jacob is full of poor choices on his part and the consequences of those poor choices. And yet every step along the way, God appears at the right time to bless Jacob, to strengthen Jacob, to affirm Jacob. And so really the takeaway of Jacob's story is Jacob is in the Bible, not because Jacob was great, (laughs) but because God is great to take care of the Jacobs in the world. You know, it's very interesting because when you're reading your book, it just reminds me of Romans 8, 28, of course, in the New Testament. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. And I think about called according to his purpose. No matter what Jacob did, he really couldn't mess it up. Even That's though, you know, he, he just, even though he, I think he tried. That's a great point, a great point. I think that Jacob... Being in the lineage of Abraham, in that lineage through whom uh, Christ would bless the world through the Jewish people, and the Jewish people provided uh, the world with the Bible, with uh, the church, and most of all, with the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
uh, Jacob was in that lineage, and God made to him the same promise that he made to Jacob. So even though Jacob, it seems, tried to mess it up and did things that you could never imagine that anyone would do, uh, God was faithful to him because our God is a promise-keeping God, and he had made a covenant with God. Well, I'm sorry, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, um, for those people who may not know or are familiar with Jacob, um, why don't you give kind of a brief synopsis of who Jacob is in the line of what we're talking about here? Wonderful. Wonderful. Happy to do so. So <clears throat> Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. Mm. And Jacob is the less, he is the younger by a minute, by a fraction of time of his older brother and twin Isaac. Esau. Esau. And Esau. Esau. Sorry. Thank you for correcting okay. me. Isaac. <laughs> so so Rebecca is the mom. Yeah. And Rebecca had received a message in a vision uh, while she was pregnant that really the lesser would rule over the elder. So she had this sense that Jacob was to be the firstborn. One of the curious fascinating details of that society is the birth order. It really mm -hmm. mattered who was firstborn. Well, Jacob wanted to be firstborn, but he wasn't. And so the first big uh, drama, comedic fashion uh, event takes place when Jacob fools the father, Isaac, into thinking he is Esau. Esau sells that birthright. Jacob lies to the father. Esau learns about it, knows that he has lost the birthright. And so he's going to kill Jacob. And that launches this story of Jacob hightailing it up to Mesopotamia to live with his uncle, who is every bit of a scoundrel. <laughs> as Jacob is, and Jacob falls in love with Leah, Laban's daughter. Rachel. Uh, he falls in love with Rachel. Listen, I, it, it gets confusing because there are so many characters in this. I, I, I wrote the book. I should know it. <laughs> but he falls in love with Rachel, and they court for seven years because that's what Laban wants in exchange for her hand in marriage for Jacob, only to find the most famous switcheroo in the Bible— on the wedding night, I just have to assume that Jacob must have been drunk out of his mind because he doesn't know it, but he spends the night with Leah, the older sister, instead of Rachel, Rachel wakes up next to Leah and then has to work another seven years in order to have the hand of Rachel. I mean, it is just one crazy event. Everything after, after another. I mean, you could write a story just about Leah and just what happened. It's like, how could you not know that this was not Rachel. I mean, you think you're saying, you must have been so drunk. And of course, they didn't have, you know, electric lights. So everything, you know, the candles are out. And, yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and it's funny because Rachel is, is the beautiful one. Rachel's the younger one. Leah, we don't know. She's not ugly, but the Bible only says she has weak eyes or something weak that's eye. something, you know. What? Yeah, you know yeah. this story. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. She has weak eyes. Uh, her her name in Hebrew it sounds like the word cow. I know that's horrible. Uh, and uh, and and uh, uh, Rachel's name sounds like you E W E, mm -hmm. not Y O U, but E W E. So a gentle lamb. Right. And and so there might have been a play on words here. No one knows for sure. Uh, nothing about her appearance. Of course, the redemptive part of 
of Leah's story is that it is through her bloodline then that the promise of Abraham is continued, and one of her uh, descendants is David, one of her descendants is Jesus. And so just when we think that her story is bad, turns out that she is the one who is the um, grandmother on, on the side of these wonderful, wonderful, important figures in our faith. You know, one that, of the, that's just the warm up for all the stuff. Oh, that oh my gosh. You know, one of, I heard us, I heard a sermon. I mean, I, not that I'm trying to usurp your, you know, pastoral and, you know, the sermon <laughs> qualities, but I just thought, it, you know, a sermon on this whole thing about, you know, Jacob waking up next to Leah instead of the woman of his dreams. And of course, we've got to remember, people have to remember that when you had sex with somebody, you were basically technically married to them. <laughs> it didn't yeah. mean, you know. Yeah. But he said, you yeah. know, every one of us goes has some kind of thing in their life where they think that it's going to, like, solve everything, right? It's the Rachel of our lives. And he says, but the morning, it's always Leah, <laughs> You know, the thing you think is going to save you, the job, the thing, the, you know, the money. You you go to bed thinking you've got Rachel and you wake up and you've got Leah. It's always Leah in the morning, you know. <laughs> it's always Leah. It's always Leah in the morning. That's a good line. So I, I think about this. But this is very interesting, um, the thing about Laban and what he says to Jacob to start that twist. Like he... You know, to say, you know, I know that what, you know, when he says, well, he goes, why did you give me Leah when I wanted Rachel? You know, and what does Laban say? He says, well, here we don't give the younger before the older. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the slam. That's that's the mm-hmm. stake in the heart for Jacob, right? And in that poetic justice, because what Jacob wanted was to have what the elder Esau had. Uh, he tried to mess with the system. And uh, there's a lesson in this that, uh, you know, what we give, we get. Uh, if you treat somebody with bitterness, eventually somebody's going to treat you with bitterness. If you give grace, eventually somebody's going to give you grace. And so Jacob's story begins with him trying to manage or manipulate the family system and he ends up getting bit by the snake that he carried. And the same thing happens to him. Uh, this lesson, this story is just full of those little tidbits. You know, we get what we get. We never outlive the consequences, but we're still under the protective cover of God's mercy and God's grace. And you talk about, you know, that the Jacob really tried to bargain with God. I mean, and we kind of do the same. I mean, does, does it ever work out for us? I mean, does it ever like... You know, you know, do we ever best God in this kind of like, you know, let's let's borrow, let's 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 stick up a bargain here, God. One reason I love interviews with you is because you always come so prepared. <laughs> Most people miss out on that part of Jacob's story, but but when he ran away from home, he had to spend the night in the desert. Remember, he is the son of a patriarch. His granddad was so rich, there was not enough land to cover provide for all the territory and 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 flocks mm. that he and Lot have. So he's he is he is he is very wealthy. But then he has to run away. He has to sleep in the middle of the desert on the floor on a rock. But that's when God appeared to him in the great Jacob's ladder story. 
and we get a picture of God's grace. But then we see see Jacob praying to God, saying, if you will take care of me, if you will bring me back home, I will give you 10% of everything I own, and I will call you my God. Mm. And we call that transactional theology, Mm. a tit for tat, quid pro quo. If you do this, God, I will do that. In the book, I tell about the time that my dad dying of ALS. Uh, I went to the prairie outside of the West Texas town where I was living, and I was saying, God, if you will do this, if you will heal my father, if you will heal my father, then I will. And I had a long list of things, Lauren. I was trying to negotiate with God. And the point is, we don't have anything with which to negotiate. What does what do we have that God needs? But we do that all the time. But it didn't work for Jacob, didn't work for Max, doesn't work for any of us. And the best thing that we can do is acknowledge that God is God. He's a God of great grace and provision. We make our requests. We leave our requests with him. But never in our wildest imaginations do we think we can negotiate with God. But you know, and I'm sure a lot of people at this point are thinking, well, what good is God if I can't negotiate with him? What what good is being a part of this 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 faith if there isn't mm-hmm. a God that I can say, "Hey, look what I've done and, you know, congratulate me." Or yeah. can I, you know, negotiate with you? How can I trust you if I can't mm-hmm. if I don't have a say yeah. in this? Yeah, we like to reduce God down to a uh person with whom we can have transactions. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. I scratch your back. You scratch mine. That really fits Jacob's personality because he was a wheeler dealer sort of guy. Uh, But God will not be reduced. He really will not. And so, again, let's make it our aim to present to him our requests. But let's never think that we can call him to be eye to eye level with us. The greatness of God is what we need. We don't need a God with whom we can negotiate. We need a God who will be kind and gracious to us. And that's the story of Jacob. God keeps meeting him in these deserts, in these uh, difficult moments, and and meeting him with mercy and grace. Um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Master uh, with Pastor Max Lucado talking about his book, God Never Gives Up on You. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lighthouse today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash lighthouse. Betterhelp.com slash lighthouse. 
Okay, we're back with Pastor Max Lucado. We're talking about his new book, God Never Gives Up on You, which is very good news for all of us because one of the things that, uh, in reading your book, Pastor uh, Max, is, is, is just this idea that, you know, we all think that the characters in the Bible are these sainted, perfect human beings, and we realize they're really not. In fact, most of the characters of the Bible always have some kind of flaw. You know, they've just, always something a little bit. Um, but you're saying in the book that Jacob was stuck in a poison system. So how did he get out? Because there are a lot of people who have, are kind of stuck in a poison system. It's, you know, it's not what they've done, one thing, but there's a system that's poisonous, that they're part of a toxic kind of system. How did he get out of it? And how can we do the same? Yeah. That point surfaces in one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, Maybe your listeners will be acquainted with a village by the name of Shechem. Mm. After Jacob and his family have left living with Laban, after they've passed through the territory of Esau, and after they're returning home, God told Jacob, go home, go to Bethel, Bethel. 20 miles shy of Bethel was a town called Shechem. Obviously, Shechemites <laughs> live there. We can understand why Jacob and his large uh, band of, of wives and daughters and children by this time and servants and slaves, uh, they, they could use a break. They've been on the road, but they reach uh, a relationship with these people of Shechem in which they're actually trading land, buying livestock, mm-hmm. and the Son of the king, it gets a little confusing because his name, too, was Shechem, Mm -hmm. but he raped Jacob's only daughter. He raped her, Dinah, and and Jacob should have retaliated, but he didn't. He did nothing. He could be a passive guy. Mm. It's tragic, tragic. And then he wanted to take Dinah, Shechem did, into his own house. Well, when Dinah's brothers heard about this, they unleashed fury upon the village of Shechem, and it was a bloodbath. God is not mentioned in this story. I think that's significant. God is not mentioned. He's not consulted. He's not called upon. It's just bloody. It's terrible. And and I think what had happened is that Jacob had allowed himself to get sucked into this toxic culture of power, of control, of misogyny. Instead of being the man of God he was called to be, he allowed the culture to define him. Mm. Again, grace kicked in, and he finally uprooted, picked up uh, the tents and the people, and led them to Bethel, and he had another encounter with God. But that time in Shechem, he was in that toxic culture. And that can happen to us, This, this these cultures in which we reward power, we reward brute force, in which we turn a blind eye to the marginalized being mm. hurt. And a person could make a case that our culture is that right now. And so Jacob's story, again, is so relevant. He didn't turn to God. He should have. He did not turn to God. But God stayed faithful to him, led him out of that, and created a revival of sorts when he finally got to Bethel. So I think the takeaway for us is, are we in that kind of culture? 
you know, you can be in that society. Maybe it's the, the company where you work mm-hmm. or the locker room where you are, or even the small town or the big town in which you live or the way the ethnic group from which you came is behaving. All of these can, are, are, are potential places for a toxic culture. Watch out. And if you find yourself in the midst of one, it's time to lace up the tennis shoes and run. Just get out, start over somewhere else and seek God. Don't stop in Shechem when the blessing is in God gave Jacob so many chances. I'm going to just call them all second chances because, you know, if you go down how many chances he gave him, it would be into the teens, I guess. But, you know, why did God give Jacob so many chances? Why couldn't have he just said, you know what, I'm next. I'm just going to move on to somebody else here and let them do it. Why did he give, you know, and, and, and how do we know that, that God will do the same for us? Yeah, because God is a covenant-keeping God. God made a covenant. He, made, he sees the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows what we're going to do before we do it. And he has made covenants. He has made covenants, and these covenants govern history. They govern the way he's going to work in the world. You know, he has made a covenant that he will come back. He has made a covenant that he will set the world right. Mm -hmm. He has made a covenant that he will forgive all who call on him. And so God had made a covenant with Jacob. He made it to Abraham, he made it to Isaac, and he made it to Jacob, that he would, through them, create a great nation and bless the entire world. So he, who knows the end from the beginning, knew Jacob was going to screw up, but he stayed faithful, because what matters in the end is not our performance before God, but God's covenant with us. We call that grace, God's great and merciful grace. The word grace does not appear in the Jacob story, but the image of grace is on every single page. That's very interesting because here you've got the story of Jacob, which is really centuries before Jesus comes on the scene, if not millennia, I mean thousands of years. And yet yeah. we see this 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 grace sort of happening, the shadow of it happening. I mean, you know, how do we kind of what holds us back from accepting God's grace? I, I, I see this in people. Um, well, just to answer that question. I mean, how do we, how do we, what holds us back from accepting God's grace? And what holds back us from offering grace even? Yeah, I will gladly answer that question if you will. I'd love <laughs> to hear your, your take on that. Uh, I think what keeps us from responding to God's grace is that it feels too good to be true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just feels, how could God forgive me after what I have done? Yeah. And if we do not allow God to forgive us, that creates either despondency or arrogance. Despondency in the sense that I'll never be forgiven, or arrogance in the sense that I'm angry at God because he didn't forgive me. And both of those are reactions to the lie that God has not forgiven us. That's why the most important thing about a person is the image they have of God when they are at their lowest. Mm. If their image of God when they are at their lowest is a God who either is not there or a God who doesn't care, that's their view of God. But if their view of God is a God who says, I'm still with you and I'm going to help you get through this, we're going to make it, then that person stands a chance in life. 
because that person has received grace. And that grace is truly, truly, truly life-changing. But it's, for many people, simply too good to be true because they didn't get grace from maybe their parents or from their coach or from their friends. How could God give grace to them? But when Jesus died on the cross for us, that's when he proved once and for all that there is grace for everyone who will accept it. You know, I th- What's your answer to that question, Lauren? Well, I think that from my experience is that there is this lack of trust in God. There is a lack of trust that there is a God because we want to see justice immediately. We want to see that person who lied about us punished. We want to see the person who fired us, you know, come to ruin because that's that's not a God of because because that's retribution, that's tit for tat. That's how we as sinful human beings operate. Grace is such a long-term kind of thing. Um, but also, you know, you know, forgiveness is in itself self-imposed suffering. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? It's like, you know, when somebody wrongs me or you know, I just want to lash out or I want to, you know, strike them the way they've struck me. But mm-hmm. when I don't, that actually hurts. That actually, I have to do, that hurts inside. There's an energy out there that needs yeah. to be, that needs to be assuaged. Something needs to happen. And what I am doing when I don't retaliate, I'm actually taking the pain on myself. Mm-hmm. And now... Yeah. That actually opens the floodgates of understanding what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross actually did. There Mm -hmm. is a pain debt. There is a sin debt that's out there in the world that must be atoned for. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And the reason he didn't trust us to do to apply vengeance is we'll either give too much or too little. And the whole process of trying to settle the score is hard on us. So I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. You we know, give the grace we've been given. So receive grace so you can give it. You know, um, I'm waiting to hear the next chapter when you take on Joseph. Because because, <laughs> because, because Jacob really, the, the toxicity of the relationship, the familiar relationship, doesn't really stop with Jacob. It just continues mm-hmm. because it cre- he's, he, Joseph is now his favorite son. Because Joseph is the is the son of Rachel, who he loved, and so, but Joseph has his own part in God's covenantal narrative of what's going to happen. But it's interesting is that even though we're talking about Jacob and what Jacob did and Laban, you know, his uncle, and just all of the twists and turns of this relationship, it, it, it even though you know Jacob understands God, Jacob has is humbled himself. But one of the things, this is a thing we should talk about, because I think people have a very, very um, quizzical understanding of Jacob wrestling with the stranger at night. This is, this is mysterious. Tell me. It's one of the great stories in the Bible. It's it's one of those things. It's like Jacob Mm -hmm. wrestles with, with a stranger at night on the eve of meeting Esau again after 20 whatever years. 
Yeah. What is your take on what happens here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we could dedicate another program just to that one moment. I, 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 it's the defining moment. It is when Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Yeah. It seems to me that Jacob wrestles with God just like we do, but just when he thinks he can bring God to do what he wants to receive a blessing, God touches him on the hip and brings Jacob to his knees. Mm -hmm. And just when we think God is punishing Jacob, God changes his name to Israel and blesses him. So it, it's it's this relationship that we have with God, that, that we do wrestle with him. And when we think he may have be upset with us, he's kind to us. And when we think that we've overcome him, really it's he who has overcome us. It's just the most mystical, wonderful story. I'd love for us to dedicate a conversation to that one someday. This is in because there are many, many scholars who have commented on what happens, but of course he's wrestling with God. And how can he wrestle with God? How can he wrestle with God? And in the end, the wrestling, it's like God just sort of, you know, the stranger just sort of, bing, touches him on, and all of a sudden, everything's broken. You know, yeah. he can't walk anymore. I mean, he's humbling. He's <laughs> like, but, you know, is there a sense that he was humbled before he began the wrestling? And then, and then Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Yeah. What That's is that what saying? Mean. What is that it's saying that he wants? I just think the big, big message out of the wrestling with God in the mud of Jabbok is Jacob is reminded that he is frail. He's not the mighty guy that he thought he was. And yet he is also reminded that God will use him. He changes his name to uh, Israel. And there's a lot of discussion about what the implication of that is. The one that makes most sense to me is that the word Israel means God fights. And mm -hmm. now Jacob knew God. He had fought with God. God had won. But also God will fight for him. God is on his side. For the rest of his life, he reminded people, God will fight for you. And so it's a powerful, powerful story. I think one that's replicated in all of our lives. One of the things that you bring out in the book, though, too, I think is very, very powerful, is what the names mean. But names aren't just names in the Bible, especially in this story, the name of Leah and, and Rachel. You talk about the cow and the ewe, and it's like, okay, here's the cow, and here's the gentle okay. lamb. Which one do you want to, you know, which one do you want to hold? It's like, ah, I don't want the heifer. But it's just, and also Leah's four, first four sons, how she names them because she's desperate for love from Jacob. Yeah. And each yeah. son has this name. You you explain because I just think this is so powerful when you talk about this. Yeah, each name represents the emotion that the wife was feeling, whether it's jealousy or vindication or anger. Each name uh, represents the tension that was taking place in Jacob's household. There's also some takeaway here about the sins of the father, mm -hmm. you know, how, how our misbehavior is passed on to the next generation, uh, but how at any point a father can interrupt that by becoming and returning to the God of his father. Uh, so there's a, there are many, many takeaways in this Jacob story that are very mm -hmm. relevant to our lives today. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. I want to thank you so much um, for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, Pastor Max. Well, you're a superstar in my book.
thank you a thousand times over. I'll look forward to another opportunity. Absolutely. And the, and the book is called God Never Gives Up on You by Pastor Max Lucado. And um, just a blessing to you for being on the show. And thank you so much. Yes, all the very best. Thank Bye-bye. you. And bless you for listening. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to this show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.